First, we'll look at these two questions. Uh, so, excuse me, now there's three um, in the question box. And then what we will do is go back and complete at least my part of what I uh, have on giving. Um, supplementing that, I was speaking about mysterious packets and verses. I don't know if anybody looked at them. I did make the copies. So they're back there. You can help yourself to them. There's two pages, but our Brother Randy Amos compiled several verses. Um, it's very beneficial if you'd like to read more about it. Some of it, I think when I read it, was pretty shocking, and we'll talk about some of those. But quite different of what seems to be the practice of, of majority of Christendom, especially when it comes to giving or it comes to actually getting money for support for the, for the work. Um, so let's look to the Lord and we'll do these questions. Our Father, we just ask that you would open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things from your law. In Lord Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Okay, um, again, the format for question time. Um, the question box, if you're wondering, is that um, checkered box in the back on that table. You can help yourself to use it. Um, the elders have set it up to where if you have questions regarding Scripture or anything being said uh, up, up here, you can place them in there, and some brother will answer them at some given time. Um, the three that I have here, I'll do the first one, and then the last two are connected. Uh, but the format is, is I will read the question, give answering, uh, give uh, somewhat of an answer and some thoughts, and then it'll be open to the brothers if they'd like to comment or um, disagree or whatever they'd like to say. That is the format, and that is the beauty of the church, right? One man speaks and let others judge. So it truly is a... A blessing to be part of the New Testament pattern church. Okay, so the first one says this. Now, this one I had to actually read several times because it's in cursive. It's funny how now we're moving into this age of type, and sometimes you have a hard time going back and reading these things, but cursive. Anyway, the, the question says this. Now, it's a clarification I'm going to have to make, too, because it's about what I said. Aren't we going to give back to him being Lord Jesus crowns, and they're talking about in reference to heaven. I think of that song, Crown Him With Many Crowns. So going back, I said that there's one thing that you can't do in heaven, and that is give in the sense of material possessions, right? And when it comes to material possessions, there is one time, right? When you're on this earth, you're given a, 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 a specified amount of time, right? God knows the span of your life. He likens it to a breath. It's, we're mere shadows. He knows the span. He's given you the resources ahead of time, and now he wants to see, right? He, we have the responsibility. We are stewards on the earth. We are tenants on his earth, and we are to give back. Um, but once we're in heaven, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, um, there won't be that opportunity, right? So when it comes to the giving of crowns, um, I believe this is a reference. I know um, this is, um, I've heard this before. There's actually, actually uh, I think there's even a Christian band called Casting Crowns. But um, this is a reference to Revelation 4. And there is, uh, we were in Revelation this morning, but the chapter before, there is some worship and there's some proclamations given and praise to the Lamb but it says this in verse 10. It says that the, four in, uh, the 24 elders will fall down before him, being the Lord Jesus Christ, 
who sits on the throne and will worship him forever, who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before him on the throne. And then they say something. So when it comes to giving crowns, I don't see it anywhere specified or actually defined that we will actually do that. It's given to, this does say that these 24 elders do it, but nowhere in scripture will it say that we will do that. Now it won't, I will say this to back it up, it's not nearly impossible that it won't be like that, right? Because um, there's also nothing to disagree with that. But when it comes to giving crowns back to him, that was a task and that was shown to be in heaven, but it's only de- uh, designated to those 24 elders. It was not to anybody else. It's not mentioned, at least, of anybody else. But I will say this about crowns. This is a very interesting study. There is somebody who does give crowns. He's the Lord Jesus. And there's five specific crowns in the New Testament expressly given to different uh, people that fit the criteria. There is, um, I have this in the front of my Bible. It's a great study if you ever want to do it. There's the imperishable crown, 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27. 1 Thessalonians 2, 14, the crown of exaltation, the crown of rejoicing, number two. The crown of righteousness, 2 Timothy 4, 8. Um, the crown of life, James 1.12. The crown of glory, 1 Peter 5.4. So these crowns are doled out. They're handed out by the Lord Jesus to different people. And there's different criteria. Those who love his appearing, um, I think that's the uh, crown of exaltation. Those who have been proved to be faithful shepherds, right? The chief shepherd will come. He's going to reward those who are the under shepherds. And that's a specific crown given to them. That's the crown of glory. So there are going to be crowns handed out, whether they're cast at his feet or not. Um, I'm not sure. The elders did it. And I guess um, you could say that that might be an indication, but it's not expressly said. So we will be able to give that back if that is the case to him. But when it comes to material blessing, when it comes to the material, earthly matter and, um, and atoms and the things that are made up like that, there's only one chance to do that, and that's here on this earth. Is there any comments or questions about that? Okay. Um, the next one, uh, thank you, that was a good question, and thank you for the clarification. Um, there's two here. I think they're both connected. Um, one says, um, referring to John 5:29. Five twenty nine. It says, "And shall come forth those who did the good, uh, good deeds, or deeds." If you ever come across something in, t- in italics, it's referring to it. It's actually not the word, but is in there. But it says, "Did good to resurrection of life, and those who committed evil to the resurrection of the judgment." So the question says, "Does this verse indicate that by being a good person, um, being a good person?" can get to heaven. That person can get into heaven. Well, the answer to that is yes. Um, To enter into God's heaven, you need to be perfect, right? It says in Matthew, I believe it's 519, it says, you are to be perfect like your father, right? So the entrance into heaven is perfection. There's no sin. There's nothing that can enter into God's, uh, there in his presence that is sinful. 
Um, but the problem with humanity, right, is in Adam all die. In Adam all have sinned. So what you classify as good is, is, is um, maybe is subjective in your thinking. But what God counts as good is that those who have believed the work of God, right? The work of God is the Lord Jesus Christ coming to earth, um, taking upon himself uh, human flesh and dying uh, on the cross, bearing the penalty of sin, and raising three days later. Um, John six twenty nine says this about this work. It says, this is the work of God. You believe him who has sent, uh, whom he has sent, right? So to do good, we need somebody else to do it for us, right? Because we were not capable. We are not capable. We were dead in our sins. And so does this mean a good person getting into heaven? Yes. But what is the qualification? Well, the, um, the good person needs to have somebody do it for them. And the only one qualified to be 100% good or 100% righteous is the Lord Jesus. We are clothed in his righteousness once we are saved. Is there any questions or comments on that? Does, a verse, does this verse indicate by being a good person that they can get into heaven? Ron? Okay. All right. And looking at the last one, Connecting, connection is the resurrection to the last question. So we read in that question there is a resurrection of life and a resurrection of judgment. So Luke 14:14 14, 14 says this. This is the verse that the person is read, uh, referencing. It says, according to Luke 14:14, 14, 14, I will read it. And you will be blessed since you do not have the means to repay. Since you do not have the means to repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So according to Luke 14, 14, what is it meant by the resurrection of the just? Is Jesus referring to the seat of oh, the judgment seat of Christ? Okay. So um, in a short way, we'll try to answer this, but this is a, um, this is a big topic, right? The resurrection, the end times, and we've, talked about it a little bit with the last questions, but um, John 5, 20, 29, which we read, you can mark this in your Bible. Whenever we refer to the rapture, that's some verse, that's a word that we will not find in our Bibles, right? But what people mean when they say that is an event. The event is called the resurrection of the dead, right? And it's in connection with an event. Um, it's in connection with somebody coming back. It says this in one of the epistles, 1 Corinthians 5, excuse me, 15. It says um, in verse 22, read for context, For in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive. Each, for each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, after those who are Christ at his coming. So death is conquered. Death is already a conquered foe. But those who will enjoy that victory are those who are in Christ. Christ being the first fruits, there's an order, right? So Christ came, he died, he rose again, never to die anymore. It says in Revelation, when John is, has the privilege of seeing the, the uh, Son of God again, but in a different form, right, in his glorified body, and one that he fell down as a dead man to, um, he says, the Lord Jesus says to him, he introduces him, himself like this, I am he that liveth, I was the living one, and was dead, but now I am alive forevermore. So 
He came once, right? He always existed. He always will exist. But he died. You know, humanly speaking, he died. But he never will go through that again. He says, I am alive forevermore. So once and for all, as an example for us, those who are in Christ will be raised in such a fashion. We might see death. We might be caught up with him in the clouds if we are alive. But the resurrection of the dead or the resurrection of life, those who are good, those who are in Christ Jesus will be a part of. So what is the resurrection of the just? I believe that it is part of it. I believe that the judge of seed of Christ, which is in connection with the rapture, which is an event after, is in connection with it. Um, But also, this is a very broad event because Abraham, Jacob, Isaac, um, Daniel, John the Baptist, these people that are not part of the church, they will be resurrected too. So when we speak about the resurrection of the just, the resurrection of life, it's not expressly for the church. There's a broad, there's other people that are part of it, right? So um, did he refer to the judgment of the seat of Christ? There is a connection, but it's not only that, right? Because it also says in Matthew 5 that there's going to be several people gathered from different parts of the world that are going to sit and recline with Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac at a table. So Abraham was promised many promises, but it says that the commentary of the New Testament says in Hebrews that he did not receive one of those promises. He walked around as a pilgrim, right? So Abraham's going to come back and claim those promises for himself. God's going to raise him. So the resurrection of the just, um, in connection with us of the Lord's coming back, Um, We will be raised if we are dead. Uh, We will hear his voice, it says in in John 5. um, And we will come back. And those who later, who have committed evil, those who have rejected God's work, will be resurrected as well, but to face something different. Is there any comments on that? Well, the resurrection didn't start with the... I mean, the promise of the resurrection, remember, it didn't begin with the church teachings, Right? Daniel, Abraham. These, why did they continue the way that they continued? Right? Why did they walk as pilgrims on this earth? You know, Abraham had the ability, right? You think of Abraham's life, it's very fascinating. But he had the ability to go outside of the means and claim the promises. Do you remember the battle that he won, right? God promised him the entire land. There's a battle that God gave him the victory. He had the entire possessions of that land in his grasp. And he said, no, thank you. I'll wait for it, right? God's going to give it to him later. So there is going to be time. Even Job, he talked about, I know my Redeemer lives, right? And he will take his stand. So he even looked ahead um, of this uh, idea. But um, yes, there is a resurrection of the just and the, the, the evil or the wicked. But in connection with the judgment seat of Christ, um, I'm not too sure. I think there's a broad, I think it's a broad uh, statement that he might be saying that umbrella that, but definitely. Rapture is, is, is part of that, right? Yeah. Right well, the, the, you got to keep in mind, too, the audience understood what he meant, too, because the very next verse says this, that somebody just shouted out, blessed is everyone who eats kingdom, eats bread in the kingdom of God, right? So they understood what he was talking about. But um, there is going to be a resurrection, you know, of those who are in Christ, right? He, in their order, right? Christ had to be raised first, then all who are in Christ will be later. Fully completing it, right?
There's a part of salvation not yet complete, right? Salvation from the presence of sin completely. So that part has yet to be completed. Yes. The full last question, according to Luke 14, 14, what is it meant by the resurrection of the just? Is Jesus referring to the judgment seat of Christ? Okay. Um, now to seamlessly move into giving. Uh, <laughs> We'll go into, uh, we'll try to pick back up after that if we can gauge our minds back to the topic this morning and continuing our New Testament church practices and, and, and guidelines. One of the topics that's been given to me is giving. So we looked at basic questions. I tried to think of how we can explain this the best, but because um, it is a broad topic, and, and as some have noted after the first meeting, that you could spend um, months on this, right? Because I think it's something that is lost in the sense that it's not that it's not as taught as much, which it's not taught as much, but we we tend to almost shy away from it, right? Because there's maybe there's a, a fear because the pendulum has been swung in the opposite direction because we see, you know, Christendom today, you know, and the flashiness and the material wealth that's been given to them, and uh, maybe we just don't like to to talk about it or whatever it is, but it is a valid subject in the sense that we are stewards. Remember that God is the, is the possessor of heaven and earth. He owns everything, and we are tenants and stewards on this earth, and we are called to be, called, uh, we are called to be trustworthy stewards with what he has given to us. So where we left off is the what. What are we to give? And that's time. Uh, you can remember it easily, time, talent, and treasures. Um, your time, we are called to redeem the time for the days are evil. Things in this world are not getting better, right? Um, the Christian is not called to, to, to Christianize, so to speak, governments and to populate the world with uh, Christian ideas and, and maybe we can usher in a good golden age, but that will only happen when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back and he crushes evil once and for all. What are we to do with the time? It's very evil. Well, we turn our attention to the things of the Lord, the work of God. What is he doing on earth? What is he doing in the church? What is he doing with the lost, right? So redeem the time, our talents, um, things that inherently God has given us. Each person is different. Some people are musically inclined. Some people are good at cars. Giving our talents, right? Paul, I wonder sometimes, though it doesn't expressly say it, but Paul, Priscilla, and Aquila, you know, they were... Uh, it does say that they were tent makers. Maybe they made tent, tents or whatever, made dwellings for people. Who knows? But definitely um, giving that, that would fall under yourself. Treasures as well. Um, the money, the food, whatever it is that you would count as, as treasure, right? Given over to the Lord. Remember the principle. The abundance that you received was needed for a saint's need or some need that was met through that. So... Abundance is what we give. What is the amount? That's the next one. Oops, I already have it up there. The amount is, well, how much, right? It's not 10%. That was an Old Testament idea. That was God's plan of welfare back then. Well, now it's uh, different. There's no commanded amount that you have to do this. You have to give that. But we're called to give the abundance, right? Before the Lord, um, you settle the accounts, right? 
and your clear conscience. Well, what is the abundance that well, I would leave between you and the Lord? But um, Paul would say this, that he uh, learned to be uh, happy or to learn to live by different means, right? There was times of abundance. There was times of low time, uh, of not much, right? And so what do you count as abundance? Give it to the Lord, right? Whatever is left over, not to be used for something else. So um, another thing, too, is I think we'll add it later is, well, how? You know, this, I think with anything, right, the presentation sometimes is, 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 well, is important, right? If I have, if I want to talk to somebody, um, say, or, you know, somebody's, uh, maybe they said something offensive or they've done something, the way that I approach them matters as well as my intention to correct it, Right? Uh, I, I can hurt that brother, or I can hurt that sister, and the way that I give matters too, right? There was a, a story in the New Testament that the Lord Jesus would, he was sitting in the back with his disciples in the, in the temple, right? And he was observing those who were giving. There was those who were just bringing in, you know, buckets of money, whatever it is, and just pouring it into that offering box, and um, their presentation, right, wasn't valid. They had the reward, it says, but there were those who gave differently, and secretly. So what is the first one? Well, we talked about uh, a little bit. Let me pull out my little verses. Uh, the first one is cheerfully, right? God wants a cheerful giver. It says that God loves a cheerful giver. Um, not just to give cheerfully, but it pleases the heart of God to see his children giving cheerfully and not, uh, you know, not of like, Oh, I have to go through this again. I can't believe I got to give back to God. You know, the one who gave me anything. Why am I giving back to Him? Uh, cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. Also, secretly, again, that story of the woman who gave um, the—I think it's two mites—but a small amount of money, and what she had left over was nothing. Right. So God is more concerned with what you have left over rather than what you have given. If that makes sense. You understand? So what you have left over is what God is concerned about, right? The abundance, give it to the Lord, right? Uh, she gave all that she had. Those who gave, gave out of their abundance, right? They had left over. They didn't give it all. But secretly, right? Not broadcasting it to everybody. Hey, look at what I gave. You have your reward already. Not grudgingly. This is also found in the same verse of cheerfully in 7. It says, do as he has purpose in his heart, not grudgingly or out of compulsion, connection with this um, even though this is not um, part of givers but it's part of receivers um, you know I think the, the norm today is is those who are in the work and I'm not saying anybody here but maybe we can be uh, we can fall under that at some point sometimes is to drum up support Right, the worker goes around and he puts pressure on the saints, almost as it were, to give to the work, right, or give to something that they're a part of. You will not see the apostles at all doing that. Actually, you'll see that Paul, it says in First Corinthians that he told them to to give in advance that which they laid aside. So he didn't even want to consider and talk about. It. He said, "What you put in advance aside for the, what you were going to give me, do it now." Because I want to talk about something else, right? He didn't want to put that pressure on him even before he, he came. But 
You won't find anything in Scripture of, of those who are in the ministry or whatever it is or for themselves going around to the churches to drum up support, right, on a campaign trail. There's no compulsion, right? So the person is not to give under compulsion, not to feel that they're being compelled. It says this in verse, uh, in the same, in 2 Corinthians 8, it says that those who are givers, they gave willingly in verse, I'm sorry, I lost my place now, but it says that, oh, okay, verse 5, it says that um, they gave willingly, but first they gave themselves to God, right? They understood that what they were doing by giving people, uh, giving whatever it was, in this case it might have been giving to the money to Paul, but or it, actually it is giving to him, um, that they met the needs, but they first gave themselves to God, right? And um, I, I think that's a good principle if you're, if you're going to be how, how to give, right? Give yourself to the Lord first, not to give to some man or some woman or some ministry and think, well, this is it, right? But... Because God might want those resources going somewhere else, right? We might need to be in tune with what the Spirit is leading it. Why we have, why have we come into this abundance? Why He's given us this talent? What are we doing with it, right? Give yourself to the Lord first, and then um, the Lord, by the will of God, it says uh, it, they, it was given to them, right? And so God is directing this, but we are to be sensitive to the will of God. But first, giving ourselves to the Lord. And then to others. So not under compulsion. And also to the where. Um, you know, we, we're talking about all this giving. Well, where to give? You know, um, is it just to throw money out, you know, some, uh, to, to anybody? Or um, is it just to, or one person or something that I like? You know, what is the, the filters that I'm using to give? Well, um, Scripture does talk about this. And there's a principle in First Timothy. Timothy says, uh, or actually Paul says this in Timothy, that there are those who um, are enemies of the faith, right, that are advocating different doctrines. It says this in verse 3, uh, 1 Timothy 6, 3, advocating different doctrines, not agreeing with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, doctrines uh, or doctrines conforming to godliness, Right. There's false teachers out there. Timothy, Brian, you know, be wary of them, right? Be wary of them. You, Christian, be wary of them. They're out there, and they will try to get money, right? They will try to garner support. And Paul says to withdraw yourself from them. And the King James says, I think it adds that in verse 5, right? I believe if somebody has King James, does it say withdraw yourself, or is it verse 3? Yeah, withdraw yourself. It's an actually an added statement because it's not in, it, well, I shouldn't say it's not, it is there in some manuscripts, it's not in others, but the principle exists because it says in verse 11, flee from these things, right? So Paul was reminding Timothy that to be careful of these that go around. So where to give? People, and I just summed it like this, scripturally based caused, right? Those that are conforming the doctrines that are conforming to holiness, the teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not just any kind of um, Christian organization that would fall under that banner that perhaps is doing something that isn't, you know, according to the Scripture, that is doing something that is not godly, right? Where we're to withdraw ourselves from those things. So we're to be wary of those things, not just to give um, just because whatever, or we think that it's a Christian cause just because it falls under that banner. So... 
Um, but also to back that up, because we can tend to have a you know pretty critical eye, but um, but equally around the board. Um, sometimes we would would have well, I kind of like that missionary, and I kind of like you know that uh, full time worker, and I'm going to continue giving to him. Maybe the Lord has laid them in, on your heart, but around the board giving it right. And it talks about this in, in again, if you want two very strong passages about giving. 2 Corinthians 8, a lot of the thoughts and the verses come from the 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. But it says this in 8, in verse 13, it says, For, for, it was the, not, uh, for this is not uh, for the ease of others, but for the affliction by, a way, by the way of equality, right? And so uh, at the present time, being the abundance, uh, for your abundance being a supply for their want and their abundance, also being a supply for your want, that there may be equality, right? So it's a circle, right? There's times of, 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 of feast and there's times of famine in everybody's life, right? So when it's your time for feast, you're giving to the need of others. When it's your time of famine, somebody's giving to you, right? God has designed it that way. And it's not just to one person. It's e- equally around the board, right, to every member or to whatever the work is that God has presented to you, right, equally around the board, but also a scripturally based one to be wary of. It's not just to anything. What about how to receive? Um, and when you're receiving, it, it, I mean, again, I, it, this, you know, I, I couldn't get around this as I'm reading through these chapters and I'm thinking of the flip side. Right? Those who would be receiving money from the church or w- would be receiving money from the saints, you won't see any of these apostles or any of these uh, teachers receiving anything from the Gentiles or the pagans, the heathens. You don't see them getting government stipends. You don't see any of that. Now, can the Lord use that to help them? Sure. But it's not their primary source, right? They're not going directly to that. They're going to the Lord in their time of prayer. They're they're, uh, making known their request. God has promised to them. He has promised to you and me that he will supply all your needs according to uh, his riches and glory, according to Christ Jesus. But it says this in John. John gives a commentary, actually, um, in verse 7. John, uh, three, uh, third John, actually, we were just here, right, um, on Wednesday night with Brother Wayne. But it says this in verse 7. For they went out uh, for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. So the, the characteristic of those who would go out uh, in some kind of work in the name of the Lord Jesus, they receive nothing from the Gentiles, right? They did not go out to pagan uh, sources. They did not try to get money from the world system, whatever it is, you know, uh, and, you know, put up your, you know, I'm not going to expressly say what it could be, but how to receive the money as a worker or, or as some kind of ministry, those who would go out not from pagans, but from the church, right? The church is designed to be self-sufficient, God is the resource. He gives the resources to them. The body supplies itself and edifies itself in love. And so how to receive, or where to receive from, I should say. Not from pagans, not from the outside, not from Gentiles, but from the church. And where are we to, to give, you know, a scripturally based cause, right? Those who would, uh, uh, places that would conform to the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ, those doctrines that would conform to godliness, according to 1 Timothy 6. 
All right. Um, I think that's all I have. I didn't have much, and we're a little bit uh, pretty close to time. So I think what we'll do is we'll call, we'll wrap it up, and and look to the Lord in a word of prayer. Our Father, we just thank you for this night, Lord. We thank you for your word. It is a lamp and a light to us, Lord. It guides us, and it shows us the path that we are to take. So, Lord, we just pray, um, as your word is convicting, able to divide soul and spirit, um, able to divide the fleshly and the spiritual thoughts, Lord, we just pray that we would um, heed your word, Lord, and ask your spirit to help us in these matters, Lord, and especially in the matter of giving, Lord, and to understand that the resources that you have given us, the jobs, the even the, the kids that we are given, right, they are, the, uh, they are things that are given back to you, right? And so, Father, we just ask that you help us uh, to do this, Lord. Help us to be faithful and uh, just stewards, Lord, at your returning, that we might be not found shameful uh, with the things that we have done. And Lord Jesus Christ, we do pray. Amen.